We are going to be reading James chapter 1, verses 12 through 27. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves." For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is, like a, he is like unto a man, beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what, man, what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he, beeth, um, he being not a forgetteth, a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. If any, if any man among you seem to be religious, he bridleth and bridleth not his tongue, but dece- deceiveth his own heart. This man, relig- this man's religion is vain. Pure religion is and underfilled, undefiled before God. And the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Good morning, church. I'm going to ask if you would to join me in a word of prayer as we begin our study in God's word this morning. Father in heaven, we acknowledge you this day as the God of all creation. We thank you, Father, for your word that you have revealed to us. This perfect word. Father, with the text of James 1 open before us, I pray that you would teach us today what it means to be a doer of the word and not only a hearer. Remind us once again of the blessing that awaits those who walk with you. Father, in your word, you have called us to be faithful, available, and obedient vessels. And I pray that this would be evident in the lives of each one here today. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus, who makes all things possible. We pray in his name. Amen. You know, we live in an age where technology is king. Laptops, handheld devices... I gadgets, let's just call them that. You know, from time to time, many of you know, I, I have a, a mobile office that varies from coffee shop to coffee shop. And so from time to time, I, I hear conversations. And sometimes there are groups of people that come in and they're having these conversations about certain things and It seems like the scenario is 
pretty similar. Groups of friends come in together. Each one of them has their own gadget. And each one of them has their face in it. They're interacting with this. Looking intently at it. And then all of a sudden, one of them will shout out to their friends, you have got to look at this. And so they all stop what they're doing and they come around and they huddle around and they're looking. The video plays or the picture pops up and they're looking. Laughter ensues. And back and forth they go attempting to one-up each other from something stored on their gadget. You know, and I got to thinking, if only, if only the same kind of effort was made to look at this word. Let's keep the scenario, but let's rearrange some of the pieces. What about a group of friends gathered in that same coffee shop, each one equipped with a copy of God's word? Okay. Each one studying, looking intently into the pages. Hungering and thirsting for more of God's word. And as one reads, he's struck with understanding on a particular passage and calls his friends to gather around the word and he proceeds to read the word and reveal what the meaning is and the application in his life after which the friends lift up a praise to God and in that moment there's a time of worship. God is glorified right there in the coffee shop of all places. There is worship. Sound far-fetched? Sound old-fashioned? Like an impossibility? Depends on what you're attracted to. Depends on whether you truly desire this word or not. What is it, church, that you are calling others to look at? Are others more apt to observe your gadgets... Or your God. What is it about your life that calls others to look at what God is doing? I'd like to draw your attention this morning to God's word. Look with me at James chapter 1. As a means of helping you see the progression in this text... I'd like to begin with a thread that I believe up until this point ties the whole chapter together. It's this phrase, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived about the place of trials in your life. Verses 2, 3, and 4. Do not be deceived about going to God for wisdom. The Bible says that we are to ask God, he's the one, the source of all wisdom. We are to ask in faith without doubting. Do not be deceived into thinking that your poverty or your riches is the main attraction here on earth. Verses 9, 10, 11. Do not be deceived about sin. Verses 12 through 16. Don't be deceived into thinking that God is behind your sin. God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does God tempt anyone. God is not in the business of enticing man to sin, but each one by his own desires. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Do not be deceived about who God is, verses 17 and 18. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Do not be deceived who this God of the universe is. Do not be deceived about what it takes to hear the implanted word, verses 19, 20, and 21. Be swift to hear what? The word. Be slow to speak, slow to wrath. Lay aside and receive or accept the implanted word. Do not be deceived about the implications of hearing and receiving the word. 
And that's where we're at today, verses 22 through 25. Hearing and receiving implies doing, implies obedience to God's way. And we're going to see in verse 26, do not be deceived into thinking that little tongue of yours has no connection to your walk and your testimony and your witness for Christ. Verse 27, do not be deceived into thinking you can have Christ and the world. You cannot serve two masters. You see, this theme of not being deceived is a theme I believe James is weaving through all of the first chapter. Do not be deceived. The call this morning is to gather around the Word and take a look at what the Word has to say. Look closely at what the Word is saying. This book is unlike any other book that you've read. And yet perhaps we've treated it like another book on the shelf. You might find it in the religion section at the library. But it offers something much more than religion. See, these words are from God and they serve as doctrine, rebuke, correction, instruction, and righteousness that the man, that the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, right? Isn't that what the word says? Is it worth rallying around? Is it worth having others to take a look at? Are you ashamed to talk about this word? Are you ashamed to have your Bible with you? I hope not. You see, this word, and whether you believe it's worth having others take a look at, depends on what you believe about God, what you believe about Christ, your relationship with Christ, if there is one present. It depends on whether you have the power of the Holy Spirit operating within you. You look at James 1, verse 22, as we begin... And let's be ready to hear what God has to say. I want you to take note of the text, what God is saying, and then take note what your response is going to be in light of what God says. There's a response to what God says. That's called obedience. We hear what God says, we then do what God says, and we walk in God's way. This is not some intellectual exercise. This is not a time where we occupy a chair and simply accumulate more Bible information. That's not why we're here today. This word has the power to transform our lives if we'll move on from simply hearing. I believe that's part of the word James has for us this morning. The writer said God did not reveal his word simply to be learned, but to be obeyed and applied. Amen. That's what it's for. So let's practice obeying and applying it. You know, one of the helpful things in preparing to preach a word is to come up with your own rendering of the text after you have read and studied, put it into your own words, so to speak. And what that does is helps clarify the meaning of the text. What is the text saying? And I'd like to share with you, just flowing out of the study, this was my personal translation of the text. It reads this way. But continue to make a habit of being a doer of the word and not only... A hearer, for the one who is only a hearer has miscalculated what being a Christian is all about. Let me illustrate what the hearer only looks like. He is like a man who observes the face of his origin. That's the literal rending there. Observes his face of origin in the mirror. He looks carefully, but only for a time, and then walks away. The tragedy here is that he immediately forgets what he just saw in the mirror. 
But the one who looks intently, he takes the time to stoop down and get a good look in that mirror. And he continues looking in this mirror, realizing that God's law is perfect. He continues looking in this mirror because he knows that it provides freedom to go in and out and find pasture. This man who continually looks into the mirror is deemed a doer of the word and his reward comes in the form of God's blessing. There are two main parts to this text. They're pretty easy. One of them is directly spoken. The other one is implied. The first one, be doers of the word. He's going to illustrate the doer in verse 25. He's going to also put forth a promise for the doer at the end of verse 25. The second main point, don't be a hearer of the word only. Be a doer of the word. Don't be a hearer of the word only. And he's going to give reasoning behind that in verse 22. But he's also going to give an illustration of the hearer only in verses 23 and 24. That's a simple basic outline of the text this morning. James has called the scattered flock to lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and at the same time to lay hold of the implanted word which is able to save their soul. And so now to head off any wrong thinking or confusion, James is quick to insert chapter 1 verse 22. Again, as James is writing, he's not thinking chapter 1 verse 22. But for those of us who have the word of God, we have chapter 1 verse 22. Okay? James is just writing. There were no chapters and divisions as James was penning this, carried along by the Holy Spirit. But what we have before us is 1.22. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So this verse right here introduces the two main points in the text. Be a doer of the word. Do not be only a hearer of the word. So, first of all, what is it to be a doer of the word? Just a few handholds on this, and then we'll come back to some things in verse 25. But we need to understand, first of all, this is an imperative in the text. What's an imperative? An imperative is a command, not an option. James writes many imperatives in the book of James. Throughout the course of the letter, many imperatives, many commands. And this particular imperative is in the present tense. It's implying a continual, ongoing idea. Something like this. Keep on being a doer of the word. Make it a pattern in your life to be obedient, to be a doer of the word. Now notice too in verse 22 that this is contrasted with being a hearer only. Look at the first word in verse 22. But, but, it's contrast. He's just talked about a hearer. Hearing, receiving, be swift to hear. But now he's saying, but, be doers of the word. Not hearers only. It must not stop at simply hearing. A doer, church, is one who walks in obedience to the word of God. Or as one writer said, obedience that lasts. Obedience that goes the distance. A doer is not simply one who performs good works. Let's be clear on this. Because there are some folks out there who believe that if I just do enough good works, if I can just pile up enough good works and my good works over here... Are, are more than, than these bad things that I do over here. And we start comparing. We have these lists. And we start to believe that we're in Christ or not in Christ based upon all these good things that we do or don't do. Church, that's a bad place to be. If that's where you find yourself. Weighing yourself on, you know, one day you're, in Christ, another day you're wondering, well, am I really in Christ or not? I'm in Christ, I'm doing all these good things. Let's be clear on what James is saying. When he says be a doer of the word, he's not simply implying performing tasks, performing good works. The Bible calls us to good works. He's prepared those good works in advance for us to do, right? He's not saved us by our good works. We've got to be real clear here. 
on what we're talking about. Text here in James is not implying you just need to do some good works and everything's going to be fine. It's not what James is talking about. The doing encompasses a life that is inclined toward obedience to the commands of God revealed in the Holy Scriptures. A life inclined toward obedience to the commands of God found right here in the Holy Scriptures. That's what James is talking about. And we'll have a little bit more on the doer once we arrive at verse 25. Well, the question now comes, what is it to be a hearer only? Well, I believe the imperative can be flipped right here from being a doer of the word to do not be only a hearer of the word. The same ongoing idea can be expressed. In other words, don't make it a habit to simply hear the word. Or perhaps James is writing, understanding that some have been doing this. So it could also be rendered in some way, stop with hearing only, church. We need to be doing. We need to be obeying this word. Not simply hearing it. Now, this is where context opens up this passage right here, church. Because the Jewish listener, remember he's writing to a scattered flock, the church. The, the Jewish listener, he would have resonated with hearing the word, wouldn't he? This was the main channel of learning. Through hearing the word. The word was read. And the Jews relied upon hearing the word. So when we think about that, we ask, what are, what are the implications of James's instruction to such a flock with a background in hearing the word read? And how does this contextual background inform the listener today in the 21st century? Because you see, we don't operate the way that the Jewish folks operates, operated back then. By just listening. Our, our mode of learning primarily today is not listening. It's watching. Visual. But back in the day it was listening. Hearing to what someone spoke. Much different. You know, I was reminded of John 5 and 39 and 40. Jesus speaking with some of the Pharisees, Jews. Jesus says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. You see, church, Jesus was informing the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, some of the religious leaders of the day, he was informing them that the word without the word, that's logos, the word without the word is not really the word. You got to have the logos in order to know the word and have the word and have life. Because you see, if you don't have Christ, you have no life. A hearer only may know a lot of scripture, church. But unless he knows Jesus and obediently acts on what he hears from these words in the scriptures, that man has no life in him. Or Matthew 23, a series of woes to the Pharisees and scribes, you might remember that. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. See the pattern here. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Do you see the picture he's painting here? Outwardly, they look beautiful. They look wonderful. But inwardly, they're a mess. They're unclean. They're a hearer only. He says, even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men. But inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You see, God is looking. There's a passage in the Old Testament. It's a familiar one to you about how God's looking for those whose hearts are loyal to him. Remember that passage? Second Chronicles. He's seeking obedience 
from the heart. And so a hearer only may look a lot like that double-minded man we've talked about in James 1 verse 8. That could be characteristic of a hearer only. A hearer only is consumed with his appearance before men, what others might think of him, and takes little inventory of his heart before the Lord. You see, the education of the day for the Jew was predicated upon hearing the word. Jesus comes on the scene, and he calls people to follow him, to do his commandments, to walk in his ways, to forsake idolatry. Because Jesus says you can't serve two masters. To abide in him. Why? Because it's in doing, in following, in abiding, walking with Christ. Whereby one manifests evidence that he is a disciple of Jesus. That's what Jesus says in John's gospel. How do I recognize whether one is a disciple? Well, keeps my word. Does my commandments. Has anything changed in terms of Jesus' expectations for his followers? Does he have a new set, now a new set of rules on what it is to follow him? Technology, as we talked about earlier, it's advanced quite a long way, has it not, from the first century? Quite a long way. The concern, though, isn't so much with technology as it is the hearts of men. The hearts of men. You know, some of you have placed, and this is a good thing, in talking to a few of you, I know some of you have these things in place in your home. Some of you have talked about how you have certain safeguards on your computer. And, and that's wonderful and that's great. And, and they're there to help, help you navigate through this perilous world of the Internet. Not, not a bad idea. Technology, though, here's where I want to go with it. Technology, I don't believe it's primarily the problem, church. I believe the question needs to be asked this morning, are you addressing the heart problem that exists or merely doing periphery patchwork? Technology has changed over time, but the hearts of men have not. Jeremiah says the heart of man is what? It's deceitful. It's deceitful above all things. How are you combating a deceitful heart? Can anything be done about such a heart? I believe, I believe that a man can cleanse his way as he drinks in the word and lays aside the filthiness of the world. I believe that with all my heart because the word says that. A hearer only likes the idea of reading the word, but never gets around to it. He likes the idea. He'd shake his head and say, yeah, it's, good. it's a good idea. It's a good idea. It's a good idea. But he's not all too familiar with this word. A hearer only will tend to point his finger at technology. Instead of taking responsibility for his, James 1.14, his own desires. Which drag him away and entice him to sin. You know, one writer said, one, this is a, a long time ago, this writer said, this is stuck, something that I, I kind of carry in my pocket with me and remember from time to time. Heart work is hard work. Heart work is hard work. Proverbs 4, 20 to 23. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Well, what are they going to do? He goes on and he says, For they are life to those who find them, and health to all their flesh. Listen to this. Keep or guard your heart with all diligence. For out of it spring the issues of life. And the Bible talks, Jesus talks about all these things that come springing out of the heart. Many of which in that one passage of Mark 7 are just wicked, perverse, evil things. The issues of life spring out of our heart. Church, are you guarding and keeping your heart? (laughs) 
Proverbs 3, 5 says that we're to trust in the Lord with 25% of our heart. 50%. How about 75%? All of your heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Proverbs 10, 8 says, the wise in heart. Listen to this. The wise in heart receive, they're going to receive commands. That's what it says. A prating fool will fall. The wise in heart will receive commands. Proverbs 14, 30 says, a sound heart, a healthy heart is life to the body. A sound heart. But envy is rottenness to the bones. And then Proverbs 23, 12 says to apply your heart. To what? To instruction. And your ears to words of knowledge. You see, church, I believe part of the problem we have today is that we're applying our heart and we're inclining our ears to something other than what this word says. We've become very good at applying our heart to other things. Something, and you fill in the blank, you know what it is. As you sit here before you and the Lord, you know what that is. You have been applying your heart to something other than instruction from God's word. You have been bending your ear and listening to someone or something other than the word of God. By his own desires. Church, applying the heart to the instruction of God's word is essential. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, a sound heart, is life to the body. A wise heart receives commands found in God's word and accepts his word as the truth to live by. Guard your heart with all diligence. Listen, there's a, there's a core problem in that each of us have within us the remains of the old man, right? As long as this earthen tent, this body remains, the sinful nature will remain. Could it be though, church, that a large part of the problem is less with the sinful nature and more with a lack of diligence to tend the heart on our end. See, I, I, I firmly believe that sometimes we put up that sinful nature as kind of a, we put it out on the table as though, well, it's got this sinful nature. Yes, we do, but are we being diligent to guard our heart? Are we being fools? That's a biblical term, by the way. Or are we being wise? Are we walking circumspectly? As Paul says. There are not too many people today diligently tending to their heart. Young people, this includes you. Young people, you live in the midst of a culture that surrounds you and is feeding you a bunch of lies. Feeding you a bunch of things that they want you to see. Bunch of things they want you to wear. Bunch of things they want you to listen to. Guard your heart. Take responsibility to guard your heart. Be about renewing your mind through God's word. Don't lean on your own understanding. Be swift to hear what God's word has to say. See, it's important to address this in light of this text before us. You see, there there are these two imperatives that are there. One, again, directly spoken, the other implied. Be doers of the word. And then over here on the other side, do not be only hearers of the word. The doer is exercising obedience to God's word. The one who only hears the word is a pretender. 
literally one who dons the mask. That's where the word hypocrite comes from. The world of theater, putting on different masks. Become a pretender. God's word is revealed to man that he might walk according to this word. Think about it. He gave us his word. Did he give us his word that we might live however we want to live? Let me just think about that for one moment. God gave you and me, he gave us his word. That we might know how to live. That we might know how to navigate in this life. And yet we treat this word in such a profane manner. We treat it oftentimes as though it really doesn't even matter. We treat this word perhaps in such a way that we just carry, we just carry it with us as we come in on Sunday. It doesn't rarely get open outside of Sunday mornings. James, at the end of verse 22, gives reasoning for not being a hearer only. It says, deceiving yourselves. A hearer only is characterized by deception. Let's understand this. A hearer only is characterized by deception. The word here, one writer has given us a handhold on this particular word, deceiving. Literally means to reason beside or alongside, and therefore refers to incorrect reckoning or reasoning. Listen, often including the idea of deliberate false reasoning for the purpose of deceiving. Deliberate false reasoning for the purpose of what? Deceiving. In mathematics, I know we've got some mathematics folks. This word, this meaning is used in that of miscalculation. So professing Christians who hear the word without obeying it make a serious spiritual miscalculation which causes them to delude themselves. The writer goes on, he says, any response to the gospel that does not include obedience or doing is self-deception. If a profession of faith in Christ does not result in a changed life that hungers and thirsts for God's word and desires to obey that word, the profession is only that, a mere profession. An example, church, even as you sit here this morning, that of the preached word, you hear God's word being proclaimed, you hear God's word being read, And on a week-to-week, I wonder how much of this word is changing you. Is doing or is obedience to the word the result of your hearing the word of God? Have you been content just simply hearing the word without doing any, without any obedience in response? What does God's word have to say about this? Does God say it's all right with just hearing it? I believe today that he's, he's making it very clear through his word. Hearing is not sufficient. As a means of drawing attention to the self-deception of the hearer only, James uses 23 and 24 to illustrate. To illustrate. What are we doing when we illustrate something? We are painting a picture. We're showing someone what we just spoke. So in other words, a hearer only is like a man. He's now going to paint a picture. He's going to give us an illustration of the hearer only. Here's what he is like, okay? If anyone is a hearer only and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. All right, so he illustrates the hearer only with the use of a mirror. That's an interesting object, isn't it? Now, the mirror in James's day was a little different than the mirror that we have today at our disposal. It wasn't made of the same quality as many of the mirrors. And doing some, some reading on this, come to find out that it was a, 
back in the 14th century when we began looking at mirrors through glass. But in James's day, the mirror was oftentimes made of, of polished brass or, or metal. One writer speaking to this says that those early mirrors, they gave a, a dim and distorted reflection of the person using them. But by carefully turning the mirror and finding the best light, a person could eventually see a fairly good image of his face. And that is the idea James has in mind. You see, by careful and patient observation, as indicated by the verb here, observing, he could eventually discover what he actually looked like. Notice... He observes himself. How many of you stood before the mirror this morning? Anybody? Raise your hand. Go ahead. It's okay. If you stood before the mirror this morning, some way, shape, or form, you stood before the mirror. Okay. Even when you got here in the church building, anybody stand before the mirror? Okay. I did. I did. Yeah. It's kind of a, it's it's something we just do, don't we? We go before the mirror. What are we looking at when we look in the mirror? Self. Self. Yeah. Some of us, one of the first things we do when we wake up in the morning, we go into the bathroom probably. Maybe this isn't you. But you go in and you look in the mirror. What do you see? What are you apt to do when you look in the mirror, that first thing? Oh. Splash some water on the face, right? You see something and you're responding to what you see, aren't you? Oftentimes when you look in that mirror and you see what's staring back at you. There's need for some kind of course correction. Usually that's the case. It may not be a whole lot, but there's usually some kind of course correction. See, the mirror is a great illustration here. Because the hearer only, he's observing himself, helps him to see what, what he looks like. But let's add, let's keep going. James is adding something to this man that's deemed only a hearer. What's the next part say? Not only does he observe himself, he goes away. Oh, this is such an important part of the text right here. The hearer only observes himself in the mirror and then goes away. And and as we're reading this, as we're seeing the illustration, the picture, we also need to be at the same time asking ourselves, what are the spiritual implications here? What is James talking about here with this man, this one who goes away from the mirror? The, The person who only listens to the word goes away and fails to respond to its demands. The hearer only is going to be contrasted with the doer in verse 25. Just a moment. But on the heels of going away, the text says that he immediately forgets what kind of man he was. So here are the three things I want you to get about the illustration of the hearer only. First of all, he observes himself in this mirror. He goes away. And he immediately forgets what kind of man he was after he walks away. So the hearer only is a forgetful here. He looks in the mirror, goes away, immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Where's the connection with God's word? Remember, James in the text is, is providing this illustration of what this hearer only is like. I like the words one writer has in this regard, answering, looking at this picture. He says, a person who looks at God's word even if it is carefully and accurately done, and yet does not apply the truths he has discovered to his own life, is like someone who immediately forgets what he's just seen in a mirror. Except that the consequences are immeasurably worse. Listen to this. He sees his sin portrayed for the horrible evil that it is. He also sees God's gracious provision in Christ for a remedy. And yet... Yet, he goes on his way as if he were never exposed to those realities to begin with. Think about that. He sees the wickedness. He sees the evil. He also sees the one who can take care of 
that sin, instead of abiding and remaining, he goes away. And he goes off and he's living his own desires. Church, that's a tragedy. The hearer only observes himself in the mirror, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. See, when, when the word of God is preached, or let's, let's maybe personalize it a little bit more. When the word of God is read in your own individual time before you and the Lord, just your, your own time with the Lord, is it your custom to nod your head, to acknowledge the truth of what's in the word? And yet when the service is done or when you complete your reading for the day, is there anything that has changed in your life? Do you think that the word was given that you might just merely give mental assent to it? Does God's word go forth to arrest you in a moment or is it intended to change the course of your living? Is it intended to bring about a feeling or is it intended to bring about transformation, life transformation? To look at it, to go away and forget Church, we need to be clear on this. If that's you, you are participating in a religious exercise. Now, are not much interested in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. How do I know? John 14, 23 and 24, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my word. Hey, you know, this is pretty simple stuff. He who loves me will, what? Keep my word. He who does not love me will not keep my word. This is not some straddle on the fence thing. Jesus is, Jesus is pretty clear here. Jesus is always clear. It always seems to be so simple. And it is. Is Jesus in that John 14 passage, is he speaking of a one-time keeping of his word? I think we all know the answer to that question. The idea here is that if one loves Jesus, he will continue, he will keep on walking in obedience to his word. Do you love him? I point you backward to where we've been in James 1.12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised. Listen, he's promised it to whom? To those... Who love him? To those who love him. You know, when you think about that relationship, whether it's a relationship husband-wife or a relationship father-son, mother-daughter, when you say, I love you, what does that mean? Is it just words? Our love in saying I love you must go beyond the simple stated I love you. John, 1 John in his epistle 3.18 says let us love in, let us not love in word or tongue but in deed and in truth. And I think today, church, we've, we've done a fine job talking about this Bible. But may it be said of us that this Bible is the word by which we live. And I want you to even consider, just as a practical homework exercise, consider your decision-making this week. Why are you taking action down path A? Path A, simply is it simply a better road than path B? Or is path A the best road because it's prescribed by God's word? I believe some of you for quite some time have seen God's word on a chain, on a chain. It's like chain, you know, the dog that gets chained up when someone, you see them, sometimes they'll have them in their truck or the car and they're going in somewhere and they may have the dog out and they, they'll tie the, tie the dog around the trunk of the tree and have them wait out there until they come back. You ever seen that? They're chained. They can't go anywhere. And I think some of us, when we think about God's word and we think about coming into this building, this school building on a Sunday morning, that God's word in some regard, some aspect, is chained. It's chained to being applicable in play right here during this time. During these couple hours on the clock, God's word's put into play. But church, what I see in the Bible 
When I read, for instance, in 2 Timothy, Paul's writing, and he says this about the word of God. Remember, he's in prison. Listen to what he says. 2 Timothy 2, 8 and 9. He says, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. And then he says this. But the word of God is not chained. Amen. You see, the apostle Paul can be in chains, in prison, and yet Paul can tell Timothy, he said, you know what? Even though I'm here, I can't go anywhere. The word of God is not chained. I hope and pray that we don't treat it as such. His word has power to transform and save. We must not treat it as being chained. This word is living and active, right? James 1, 23 and 24 describe the man who observes himself in the mirror. He goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. In James 1, 25... James 1.25 does two things. First of all, it contrasts verses 23 and 24. But it also picks up the imperative back in 1.22. The first main point, be doers of the word. Okay? But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Now the man who looks into the mirror, and the man who looks into the perfect law of liberty, Notice that both are looking, both are observing. There are two different words that are used there. But both imply a careful observation. The one who looks in verse 25, though, has in mind to to stoop down in order to look and get a better view. That's sort of the rendering in that verse 25, to to, to stoop down. And, And a great picture of that stooping down is found in John's Gospel, chapter 20. You remember there was a race... Remember the race between Peter and John? And they were running to the tomb. I love the way John describes the race. They ran together and the other disciple, John doesn't say, I beat him. The other disciple outran him. And John says, he stooping down and looking in. That's the same word here, okay? Same idea, stooping down. Has in mind to, to stoop, he, he was able to see those linen cloths that were lying there in the tomb. Now, if you keep reading in John's Gospel in chapter 20, you come to see that that stooping down, that looking, that bending down to get a closer look at those linen cloths, just a few verses later, that kind of looking led to belief, obedience. Verse 8 tells us that in John 20. Remember that James 1.25 is contrasting the hearer only described in 23 and 24, the illustration of the hearer only. Okay, 25 is going to contrast. So both of these men, they make observations. They're both looking. One perhaps looking a bit closer. But the emphasis, I believe, is not that one looked more carefully than the other. The contrast, I believe, is best seen in the next part of the verse. It says, and continues in it. Now, we have to make some observations of the text in verse 25. Let me just give you a couple questions that hopefully you were asking as you were reading the text. What's the contrast set forth? One who goes away versus one who continues in it, right? Continues in what? The text says the perfect law of liberty. We see, in, and we'll get to it here in a, a little bit, James 2, verse 12, speaks also of this law of liberty. James 2, verse 8, is going to talk about the royal law. There are some things that are going to pop up here in chapter 2. We'll see this idea expressed again. What is this perfect law of liberty? Uh, We see the mirror, we see the word of truth, the word by which we've been brought forth, verse 18 of chapter 1, the word by which we're swift to hear, verse 19, the implanted word which we're to receive with meekness, recognizing it has power to save our souls, that's verse 21. How is it considered to be the perfect law of liberty? One writer said that the perfect law This law is perfect because it provides a full, complete disclosure of God through Jesus Christ. It's perfect in that there's nothing better. I mean, think about it. I'm reminded of the the Hebrew writer who who spoke on several occasions throughout the letter of how Jesus is better. 
Jesus is better. That's, that's a big theme of Hebrews. He's better. Better than what? Well, he's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the earthly high priest. He's better than the old covenant. I didn't make those up. Those are all in Hebrews. If you read the book, you'll see those. He's better. Christ himself, Paul says in Romans 10, he's the end of the law. He's the culmination. He's everything that the law was pointing toward. It's Christ. The end is in Christ. So why is it deemed a law of liberty? Law of liberty. Why? One writer says that the law, this, this, it's, it's the law in, in the keeping in which people find their true liberty. As long as human beings, listen, this is important. As long as human beings have to obey their own passions and emotions and desires, they are nothing less than slaves. It's when we accept the will of God that we become really free. For then we are free to be what we ought to be. We're free to be who he's made us to be. To carry out the purposes for which he made us. And, and biblically speaking, we look in the scripture and you see John chapter 8. Turn to John chapter 8 for just a moment. You see this very clearly in the scriptures. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. He said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth. And what's that truth going to do? Shall make you free. And they answered, We are Abraham's descendants. All right, you see where they're going with this. And have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'll be made free? Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say, Whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. What have we been reading in James? How do we get to abiding in sin, carrying out our own desires, going our own way? See what Jesus is saying here. A slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. One writer talked about James and thinking about this law of liberty He's focused on its redemptive power in freeing, listen, he's freeing believers from the bondage of sin and then freeing them to righteous obedience. That's really the, the essence of what John 8 speaking of here. Freeing them from something, but freeing them to something. It's, it's the whole idea that's found in John 10 where Jesus is the, the shepherd, but he's also the door, he's the gate. Right? And he says in 9, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out. Think about that imagery. Going in and out. When you go in and out and you find pasture, oh, there's room to roam. I got room to roam. How many people today, when they think about following Jesus Christ, they think about, I've got room to roam. I've got freedom. I've got great liberty. This abundant life. No, they think about rules, what I can't do. That's not what Jesus says. You're going to have abundant life. Freedom. Paul speaks about this very same thing in Galatians chapter 1. In Gal excuse me, Galatians 5, verse 1. He says, stand fast. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Stand fast in the freedom. See, this law of liberty, it provides freedom in that it, it, gives liberty to those who, it gives liberty to those who submit to its authority. The writer says here, this liberty provides a victory over the bondage of habits and attitudes which can overpower human will. This is a law of liberty, freedom, if we but submit to its authority. So he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, Contrast that with the man who looks in the mirror and goes away. The man who looks into the perfect law of liberty is one who abides. That's the idea of the word continue, has the word abide. He abides in this law of liberty, this word of God. He takes it with him wherever he goes. He's not ashamed of this word. He stores it within him. He meditates upon it. Joshua chapter 1. Do not turn to the right or to the left of this book of the law that you may prosper. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. Church, is that an instruction only applicable to Joshua? I don't think so. It was for Joshua, no doubt. But is it also not good for us to do the very same thing? To 
Not allow this book of the law, not allow this word to depart from our mouth, that it should be readily available on our lips to speak. Well, what about Psalm 1? This man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight and his, in his law, he meditates day and night. Not on Sunday morning only. He meditates day and night on this. He thinks about it all the time. He's going to be like a tree. Think about the picture. Here's another illustration. A tree planted by streams of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does is going to what? Prosper. In the context of those scattered on the run in the midst of trials, there's placed before us in the text a hearer only and a doer. Both look, but one goes away and becomes a forgetful hearer while the other abides, the other remains, the other continues in what he sees. He's walking in obedience. And church, I want you to see in the text before we come to the end of the text, it's important that you see it at the end of verse 25. Do you see the promise? There's a promise. There's a connection between looking into the perfect law of liberty, abiding in it, being a doer, and receiving God's blessing. The blessing comes as one walks with Christ, not simply professes his name. Do do we see that? We see where James is going here. It's not simply carrying your Bible to church on Sunday. Get you God's blessing. No, this is all in line with the one who is doing, the one who is abiding, the one who continues in this word, looking intently at this perfect law of liberty. The blessing comes as you obey. The Hebrew writers spoke of this in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 16. For who, having heard, rebelled. Talking about those long ago, the Israelites, remember how they wandered? And they had, they had spent some time in detention, so to speak. And there were several lives that were lost because of disobedience. Listen to this. Who, having heard, rebelled. Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now with him, with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see, verse 19... That they could not enter in because of, here's the word, because of unbelief. They didn't obey. Jesus himself concludes his Sermon on the Mount with these words. Words that exemplify really the core issue of what James is addressing in verses 22 through 25. Matthew 7. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words, these sayings of mine, and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Both of these individuals hear the word. One hears and does them. The other hears and does not do them. One is deemed a wise man for the way he builds on a rock. The other is deemed a foolish man for the way he builds on sand. James's message is this. Be a doer of the word. Do not be only a hearer of the word. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. But hold fast to the perfect law of liberty. Abide in this word. Prove yourself to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus. Take heed to what you hear. Hebrews 2 verse 1 says it this way. Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. Lest we drift away. Obedience. So one writer is the necessary human response to God's grace. Both factors, the gracious initiative of God and the response of man, are part and parcel of the gospel. You see, the word through which we are born into new life, verse 18 of chapter 1, and which has become implanted in us, verse 21, is a word that must also be put into practice. Church, 
Many of you proclaim the name of Jesus. Many of you have heard God's word preached on many different occasions. Are you going to trust him and obey? That's the song, right? That's the question. Will you abide in Christ? Will you take God at his word? Will you walk with the Lord in the light of his word? If we do, as we do, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still. And with all who will what? Trust and obey. It's my hope and prayer, church, that we would be unashamed to gather people around this word that we've been given, that we would call others in our day to get a look at this. That this word would be so amazing and so incredible to us that it would be our heart's desire to call others to get a look at what this word has to say. May that be our passion. May that be our aim. May that be our objective in this life that we have as long as God gives us breath on this earth to breathe. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Father, for the truth that you've given to us. I pray for this body. I pray for each one of us. Father, that we would be doers of your word. That we would not only be a hearer, we would see the picture that's painted here of the one who is a hearer only. And we would also see the picture that's painted of the one who is a doer. Oh, Father, I pray it would be our heart's desire to be this doer, this one who walks in obedience. This one whose life is characterized by lasting obedience, enduring to the end, pressing on, inclining our ear to hear what you have to say. Asking the question at all times, God, what would you have for me to do? I pray, Father, for this church that our heart would be applying itself, we would apply these hearts of ours to instruction found in your word and that our ears would be inclined to hear what your word has to say. Father, give us grace to walk in your way, this way of understanding. And I pray, Father, that as we walk in that way, that your Holy Spirit would fuel us and empower us to be the witness to Jesus that we're called to be. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.